Have you ever discovered something that was so amazing that you just had to tell everyone about it? Something that you found that maybe has a unique interest to you and you just wanted to share it with your friends. Maybe you're a reader and so you found a novel that just grips you and you couldn't put it down. A real page turner with twists and turns and as you're going through it, you just have to share that with other people. Like this new book I got. Or maybe it's a business book or a leadership book and once you read it, you just want to share that with other people. Or maybe for you, you found a new restaurant with an awesome atmosphere and amazing food. And this is the type of thing that once you've tried it, you just have to tell all your friends about it. We share all sorts of things with each other. Some of you share recipes. Some of you share YouTube videos. Some of you share memes. Some of you share uh, news stories that make you angry. Some of you share inspiring stories that make you happy. You know you do. You share all sorts of things. When something is really exciting to us, we want to share it with other people, especially if it has changed our life in some way. We want to share it with other people. When my family and I showed up in St. Louis almost a year ago, people kept telling us about all the amazing things there were to do here, all of their favorite things they wanted to share with us. And we loved that because we needed those personal recommendations to know what to do and where to go and, and what things were worth seeing. Businesses know that the most effective form of marketing is word of mouth, right? Because if they can get you to talk about their product or their service to your friends or your acquaintances where there's a relationship that's kind of built up there, some trust there, they know there's a much better chance that they have of closing a deal with you because of that relationship and that trust that is built up. And yet, for some reason, many of us struggle with sharing the most amazing thing that we have. Jesus has changed our life radically. He's transformed us into new people. He's given us hope and joy, the, the forgiveness with God, a relationship with God, eternity with him when we die. There's nothing more amazing than what Jesus has done for us, and yet we struggle, don't we? We struggle to share that with other people. We might talk about it at church, or we talk about it in our groups, we talk about it with our Christian circles, but Sharing it with people who don't know him, that sometimes can be a real challenge for us. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about how to love our neighbors. But several times, I've used a phrase, and maybe you've noticed it, and that is this, that the most loving thing we can do for our neighbors, and I'm using neighbors in the broad sense of the word, the most loving thing we can do for our neighbors is to introduce them to Jesus, to share the good news about what Jesus did for us and what a radical change he's made in our life and that he can make in your life, to share that information with other people. But here's how many of us view sharing Jesus with others. Here's kind of how we view it. Over here, I have my life. And that includes things like my job, maybe school, could be uh, vacations in there, all sorts of other things that I like to do. Food would be a big one for me. Shopping maybe for some people, not exactly for me, but some people like it. There we go, online shopping, that's for me. All the different things that we do in our life. This is my life, this is what makes up my life. You could add all sorts of words here. And then over here, on the side is sharing our faith. Kind of in its own little box. 
Maybe we do this when we're teaching a class at church or when we're taking part in an outreach ministry or as part of a mission trip every now and then occasionally. But it's really not a part of our regular life and everything we do. There's kind of a separation there between sharing our faith and our everyday life. And what I want to talk with you about today is how did we get here? How did we get to the point? Because I think it's very different than how it looked in the early church. How did we get to the point where we sort of viewed sharing our faith with people as this little side thing that we, to be honest, many of us seldom or never do. Now, I know some of you do, but for a lot of us, and at times in my life, I've been this way as well, we just kind of view it as this side thing that is not a, a part of everything we do in our life. How did we get this way? What I want to do with you this morning is share four myths about sharing our faith that I think lead into this. Four myths. And this is going to be a very different kind of message. Okay, this is not going to be a normal message at all. In fact, this is going to feel more like a a workshop or a seminar. And let me explain that because this is going to be a little different. We'll be back to our normal format next week. But here's the thing. Most churches, when they want to teach about sharing our faith, will do so in a class, maybe on a Wednesday night. And they'll promote it on Sunday morning and they'll invite people to go be a part of that class and learn how to share their faith. And do you know who shows up at the class for learning how to share your faith? All of the people who are already passionate about sharing their faith. That's how that usually works. And I know, because I have led dozens of these classes over the years. And they're wonderful. And there's no reason not to have that. That's a good thing. But I have just become convinced over the years that if we're going to do this, and if we're serious about this, if this is really something we're supposed to be about as followers of Jesus Christ, then we've got to talk about it here. We can't just do training off on the side. We've got to do training here. This is the the main gathering of the church where we need to be talking about this. How do we share our faith with people? So we're going to get into the the nitty-gritty of it a little bit today. And it might seem a little bit strange, and if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and there were some in the early service that that applied to them, this is going to maybe seem like a little bit of inside baseball. You're still going to get a lot out of it. There are going to be a lot of things here that that could really resonate with you. In fact, this might be the perfect Sunday for you because we're going to explain exactly why we believe what we believe about Jesus and how to become a follower of Jesus. So this is a great Sunday for you to be here. But it is going to be a little different than normal, and I want you to know that. This is also going to be an overview. We're not going to get into every nuance. This is something that you can study for years and years and learn more and more about. And I actually hope that you will leave here wanting more today. I hope that you will leave here and want to go look up some of the verses and study them a little bit more and go read some books and watch some things online. Maybe you'll even want to go back and watch this message over again because some of it you didn't quite catch the first time. That's okay. This is kind of a workshop or a seminar on how to share our faith and maybe some of the reasons why we don't always do that. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 because that's where we left off last week. In 1 Peter 3, we talked about all the things that build up to verse 15. And that was sort of our our core verse for last week. And we're going to go back there and read this together. And this will be our launching point for today. Here's what Peter says. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. What we want to do today is talk about how do we do this? How do we explain the hope that we have in Jesus? 
That explanation of our hope is what we call the gospel. Gospel means good news. It's the good news about what Jesus has done for us that can change our lives and change our relationship with God. Another word we use sometimes is evangelism, which means to proclaim the good news or announce or share the good news. So we're going to use those terms today, gospel, good news, and evangelism to talk about what we're getting into. But I want to, I want to get into these myths first. Four myths that I want to share with you. And if you got a weekly program when you came in, there's a spot there where you can write these down. Um, we also have a lot of the verses that we're going to talk about this morning in the YouVersion Bible app. So you can go there if you want to or go to eatfree.org slash Bible. I have to be honest with you though, I added a lot of references last night. So not all of those made it into the YouVersion app. So you may want to write some of these down on the back of your weekly notes if you want to keep track of all of this. Let's talk about myth number one about sharing our faith. Myth number one is that sharing the good news is for special believers. It's for those people that really know what they're doing. Pastors and evangelists and missionaries, but I don't know enough. I don't have enough training. Let the pastor do that and I'll bring people to him. Let the people with the gift of evangelism do that. It's really for special people. Have you ever felt that way? Like, you know what? That's just for other people to do. That's not something that I really am good at. So I'm gonna let them do that and that's not, that's not me. That's not my responsibility. And I think that if we were to look closely at the words of Jesus, we would see where that reasoning falls short. Let me show you in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That means to share the good news with them, to tell them about Jesus. Disciple means learner or student. Make them a learner or a student of Jesus by sharing the good news with them so that they realize why they need to follow him. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's what I want to focus on. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And what did Jesus just command them to do? To go and make disciples. See, this is a cycle that's supposed to happen as the disciples of Jesus learn this from him. He's been teaching them for three years how to make disciples. He's been doing it and then handing bits of his ministry over to them. And he's saying, now I want you to go and make disciples. And then I want you to teach those disciples to do everything I've commanded you. And what did he just command them to do? To go and make disciples. And so these disciples are supposed to go make more disciples who are then going to be taught to do everything Jesus commanded, which includes making disciples, who will then be taught to do everything Jesus commanded, which includes making disciples, and it continues on and on and on and on. It is supposed to be a cycle that never ends. And what happens when one disciple just decides, I'm not gonna do that. I don't know enough. I don't have the training. That's for special people, not for me to do. That cycle breaks See, the gospel was never meant to end with you. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. There are other people that God wants you to share the good news with, and that cycle is just supposed to continue on and on and on until Jesus comes back. 
This is something for all of us. Let me show you another example. This is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. He says, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And then he says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. This is what we've been talking about all of these weeks. The way we're supposed to live our life Loving people, serving people, not doing just what we think is best for us, but doing what is best for others, to love our neighbors well. And we don't just do that so we can get to the point of sharing the gospel, and yet at the same time, when we do that, we will create opportunities to share the good news with them. Paul says, part of the reason I do this is so that many will be saved. And so he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He came to seek and save the lost. That's what he did. And Paul says, imitate me as I imitate him. We are all supposed to be doing this, living our life in a certain way so that we can get to the point, not just so that, but one of the byproducts is we get to the point where we get to share the good news so that many may be saved. So sharing the good news about Jesus is not just for special people. It's for everyone who believes in him. And when we think that evangelism is just for special people, here's what we're really saying. What we're really saying is that the power is in the messenger and not in the message. The power is in the messenger because I'm not that messenger. I don't have that special gifting. I don't have that role. And yet what Paul says, even in this letter in 1 Corinthians, if you look back at the first part of the letter, He says, I didn't come to you with lofty or impressive speech. I decided to know nothing except for Christ crucified because the power is in the gospel. The power is in the message, not in the messenger. And so truth number one is that God wants every follower of Jesus to share him with others. Here's the second myth. It's part of why we are where we are with sharing our faith. We can share the good news without words. Many people believe this. Remember that big box that was my life, all those different things in it. If I just live my life a good way, then that's going to be my testimony to other people. That's going to be my witness to other people. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. In other words, you can preach the gospel just through your actions, and you never really have to say anything. Because your life, some people will say, my life is my witness. There's a term for this, it's called lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism, and some people use the term a little differently, but for the most part, lifestyle evangelism means I live my lifestyle a certain way, and people will see that, and that will point them to Jesus. And I never really have to say anything, because that's super awkward. I don't want to talk about my faith with people. I just want to live a good life and they will see that and that is my witness. Or maybe you've heard this before. Your life is the only Bible some people will ever read. The only problem with that is we have an actual Bible and it communicates truth. And yes, your life should reflect the truth in the Bible. But we also need to communicate the message of the Bible. It doesn't just happen through osmosis. It doesn't just happen as you're a good person. We have to use words. People need to see the message of your life, yes, but they also need to hear the message of the gospel. Let me me show it to you this way. This is from Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, 14. 
It says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in them if they have never heard about him? How can they believe in him if all they ever see is your good actions? If they've never heard about Jesus, how can they actually believe in him? That's how they're saved. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So here is Paul telling us, hey, words are necessary. It's through the communication of the gospel message, the good news about Jesus, that people trust in him and are saved. Now, personally, if I were God, I would not have entrusted you and me with that responsibility. That's a pretty big responsibility. If I were God, I would have given that to the angels. They would do such a better job with this. Can you imagine if you weren't a follower of Jesus and you got a knock on the door and you opened up and there was an angel standing there doing door-to-door evangelism and he's glowing and he's got six wings and a flaming sword he says, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus Christ. You're like, okay. <laughs> Angels would do such an amazing job at this, and yet God has entrusted this responsibility to us to communicate this message of the gospel. And so truth number two is that the, the good news must be communicated, not just demonstrated. It has to be communicated. We have to be able to explain it, as Peter says. Let's talk about myth number three. Myth number three is that sharing the good news means giving a short gospel presentation. Just a quick thing, something that you memorize, could be 90 seconds, could be two minutes, could be five minutes, just a quick gospel presentation that you give and then they either accept it or they reject it. And see, from our perspective, when we share the gospel with people and if they trust in Jesus, from our perspective, we may think, wow, that was an amazing just switch that happened right there. They just went from not believing in Jesus to believing in Jesus and all it took was that little 90-second presentation and boom, that was it. And what we don't realize is that for most people, there was a substantial journey that brought them up to that point. See, you and I, when we do this, when we share our faith with people, we are entering into a process that began before we stepped onto the scene. The Holy Spirit has been convicting that person of sin. They've been thinking about God. Other people have probably come along who have shared the gospel with them or lived a life and they knew they were Christians and there was something different about them and that's caused them to think about it. There's a progression that is happening in their lives that brings them to this point. We know from studies that on average, Christians say that they heard the gospel over seven times before they trusted it. So there's a progression that happens here that we are sort of stepping into a journey with people. A few weeks ago, we introduced something called the spiritual journey continuum. It's a continuum because it's kind of hard to know where one step begins and another step ends. It's just sort of this growth track that we go on from trusting in Jesus to becoming a spiritual adult. But there is something on this spiritual journey continuum that I did not show you last time. And that is this. What happens before trusting in Jesus. See, because you may talk with someone and they might be completely opposed to God, completely opposed to Jesus, or, you, or they may be kind of resistant or open to Jesus. They, um, they might be interested in him but not sure what to think and have a lot of questions about it. And we don't really know where people are at 
on this continuum until we, until we start to ask them questions and learn more about what's going on in their lives. And here's why I think this is important. I think this is so critical. For many of us, when we think about sharing our faith with people, we have this idea that we need to take them from a negative four or a negative three all the way to a zero in one five-minute conversation. And sometimes it works that way. But usually it doesn't. Usually, there's a progression that they're on. And maybe they're at a negative one and we happen to be the one that comes along and shares the gospel with them for the eighth time and they trust in Jesus. And we go, wow, that five-minute gospel presentation worked. Yeah, but there was a progression that they were on before that point. And what we have to understand is that maybe sometimes we're gonna be part of that progression earlier in the process. And that's okay. That's all right to step into that progression. One time I was sharing the gospel in New York City and I, I got to lead a man to the Lord. And uh, it, it, was, it was a great time we had together, a discussion, probably 15, 20 minutes. And as we were getting into the gospel, he said, you know, this is amazing because I have never believed in God before. But for the last week, I could not fall asleep because I kept thinking about God. And I don't understand why. And now you're the third person who has talked to me about God this week. That never happens. See, I was the last part of a progression in this man's life that led him up to this point. We don't know where people are at on this continuum when we, when we engage with them. And most people don't go from a negative four to a zero all at once. You might get to talk to someone who's completely opposed to Jesus. And then you invite them over for dinner and you ask if you can pray before you... You eat the meal and they, they know that you go to church and they see how you live your life and, and you have a conversation with them and you know, they're just totally resistant to it, just, just really, really opposed to it. And then a few months later, you have another conversation with them. It's late one night and now they're kind of a little more open to it. They're still resisting, but they're at least willing to talk about it, engage in it a little more. Here's the thing. That's a win. That's a victory. They went from a negative four to a negative three. That is awesome. It's not just about that huge leap from a negative four to a zero. There's a progression that can happen here and we need to recognize that and recognize that we play a part in that and it's not always going to straight to, to zero. See, we think that all of the sudden they become interested and, and, and trust in Jesus and the truth is it usually isn't all of the sudden. Usually there's a process that brings us to that point. And you know what? At some point in the future, there might be someone else that has the chance to take them from a negative one to a zero. And someone else may take them from a zero to a one and to a two and disciple them through that process and help them to grow. This is how God uses us, different people at different parts along this journey to help people along the way. Now, I've been a part of many evangelism training programs in the past in different parts of the country. I've done a lot of, of what they call open-air evangelism and door-to-door -door evangelism and all kinds of different evangelism, street evangelism, beach evangelism, you name it. And one of the things that frequently happened at some of these programs was you get back at the end of the day and the question is asked, how many people trusted Jesus today because of your witness? And the really spiritual ones, you know, the extroverts, they'd get like 25 people to trust in Jesus that day. And you're like, wow, they're so amazing. And then you've got these other poor people that couldn't get anybody to trust in Jesus. And listen, here's the, the thing. It's not about convincing people to say a prayer. 
That's not what it's all about. It's about helping people move from one place in the spiritual continuum to another. And sometimes that happens slowly. Sometimes that happens over years. It takes time. So instead of a a tally that we keep track of how many people got converted today, I have a few other questions that I think we should be asking. Questions like, how well did your life reflect Christ to others this week? How well did your life reflect Christ to others this week? Or maybe this one, did you get any opportunities to share your faith? Because just sharing your faith when you have an opportunity, that's obedience, that's a win, that's a victory. Regardless of what they do with it, the fact that you were obedient to share, that is a win. Or maybe this one, do you think anyone moved a step closer on the continuum in a conversation? That's a victory. That's a win. That's something that we should be celebrating. Success in evangelism is not about conversions for us. It's about obedience. Obedience to what God has called us to do in sharing the good news. It's not about quick conversions. It's about long-term faithfulness as we share our faith. So truth number three. Truth number three. Most Christians can point to a journey that led them to faith in Christ. Myth number four is a challenging one, especially for those of us in full-time ministry, because for many years, churches have believed, or at least implied, that sharing your faith was part of a church program. We have to have a church program to do evangelism, and there are lots of great programs that try to do this. Evangelism explosion, the way of the master, some churches use the four spiritual laws, or the story, or Romans Road, there's many others that you can go through. And those are helpful tools. Those are great things to learn to share the gospel. But there there were some unintended consequences to the programization of evangelism. By making evangelism a program, we separated it from our everyday lives. You remember that illustration at the beginning? Over here, we've got my life with all the things in it. And over here, we've got when I share my faith, kind of off to the side, occasionally at a church event, every now and then at a mission trip, sort of off in its own little box. How did we get here? How did we reach that point where we sort of separated those two and viewed it as though my life is over here and I live the American dream and I pursue my own ambitions and I do all these things in my life and then over on the side, maybe once a month or every couple times a year, or maybe it's once a week, I do a little bit of ministry, a little bit of serving, a little bit of sharing my faith, and it's sort of this separate off to the side thing. How do we get to that place? Well, part of it is that we viewed evangelism as for the special people and not for everybody. And part of it is that we believed a lie that we didn't actually need to communicate the gospel, we just need to live a good life and let those people that are good at it do it. And part of it is that we viewed evangelism as just a short gospel presentation that we're giving when we're out doing evangelism or having a, on a mission trip. And part of it is that churches, churches treated evangelism, sharing the good news, like it's just a program, like it's just something that we've gotta do. I was part of a church that this was our Friday night thing. We had a Friday night, go out and share the gospel. And then you go out and do that, and then you don't have to do it the rest of the week, because it was just a program. It was just something that we did on the side. And so here is truth number four. Truth number four, sharing the good news is more about a conversation than a presentation. 
Sharing the good news is more about a conversation than a presentation. And I, I'm not against church evangelism programs. They can be very useful. But this is what we've been talking about throughout this series. Getting to know people, loving our neighbors, having conversations with them, building relationships with them. And so often when we share our faith, it is much more about just having a conversation and give and take and answering questions and caring about them and caring about where they're at in life right now than just getting to our gospel pitch. It's good to know how to share our faith in lots of different ways, but it's not just about the presentation, it's about a conversation. So the the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we explain the hope that we have? How do we give answers to people that want to know about this? How do, we, how do we have these conversations with people to share what we believe? There are many, many ways to do this. Many good things that you can learn. And, and some of you have probably been through this training before. Lots of different trainings on evangelism. They're good things to have. They're like tools in our tool belt. If you're a contractor and you show up to a a job, chances are you bring more tools than you actually are going to need, right? You've got more in the truck. You may not need that sledgehammer, but it's there just in case. You may not need all those wrenches, but they're there just in case because you don't know what you're going to find on the other side of that wall. There might be something, some situation that calls for something a little bit different. It's the same way with sharing our faith. It's a good idea to learn multiple ways to do this so that we're ready to adapt and be flexible. Let me give you an example. When I was a freshman in college, I was part of a ministry that we went to a nursing home every week and we, we met with the residents there and we prayed with them and sang songs and shared the gospel with them and many of them trusted Christ and we had a really good ministry there. There was one lady in particular who was very special to us, a sweet elderly woman and we would see her there every week so we showed up to her room and I was sort of her main contact and I walked in with everybody else behind me and, and she was gone. She had been moved to another facility, and we didn't know that. And in her bed was the grouchiest woman I had ever met. I mean, she was just mean, and she wanted us gone. Now, most people, if they didn't want us there, they would let us know, but they would do it politely. This woman wanted us gone yesterday, so we figured out the cold shoulder, the ice in the room, and we went, okay, we're going to go ahead and leave you alone. And I just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to ask her as we were, as we were walking away, hey, is there anything we can pray for you before we leave? And she looked over at the window and she stared out at it for a few seconds. And she said, yes, pray that the people I love would find peace. And I said, that's a great prayer request. And then I kind of felt the prompting again of, hey, just ask her, have you found peace? And she said, no. Would you like me to share with you how you can have peace? And I thoroughly expected her to say, no, get out of here. And instead she said, yes. So I sat down with her, this feisty, angry, bitter woman, and for an hour with the rest of our team standing along the wall of the room watching in complete silence, talked with her about the gospel. And the gospel presentation I knew at this point the best was the Romans road. So we went to Romans 3.23, all have sinned, and Romans 6.23, the penalty for our sin is death, and, and Romans 5.8, and Romans 10.9 and 10. We looked at all these scriptures, and she, she was a devout Roman Catholic. She understood very well what we were talking about. She, she knew what we were talking about, and yet something wasn't clicking for her. There was, there was a disconnect where she just didn't understand. It was very frustrating for her because here she is at the end of her life, and she doesn't know if she's done enough, good enough, to make her right with God. 
She doesn't know which direction she's going because is everything I did that the church told me to do, is all that stuff enough? I just don't know. I don't have peace about it. And that's when the aha moment hit and the guidance of the Spirit. Time to go off script. I've been going through this Romans Road method and now it's time to try something different because she's not understanding this and there's more truth that she needs to know. And so we went to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 which says that it's not by works that we're saved. It's by grace through faith. It's not of works so that no one can brag about it. No one can boast about it. There's nothing we can do. And it's like, I'm telling you, a light bulb went off in her head. And suddenly, it all made sense. And I couldn't believe it. I was as shocked as she was. She said, do you mean all the good things that I did, all of those aren't worth anything? Is that what this is saying? In fact, was trusting in all of those good things what was actually keeping me from having a relationship with God? Yes, because it's by faith in Jesus, not by any works that we do, that we are saved. And she trusted Jesus that day, and her entire attitude shifted. I mean, it was amazing. We stayed and, and, and hung out with her a little while longer because she was nice to be around now. And she was smiling. She wasn't scowling anymore. And we had a great time, a great conversation. You know what? We came back the following week eager to see this new believer and start discipling her. And she had already passed away. That was her last chance to hear the gospel. And what was so important in that moment, not that I'm in any way taking credit for this, this is, this is between her and God, but to just understand multiple verses, multiple approaches, and be willing to say, hey, you know what? Romans Road, this is not meeting her where she's at. We need to shift a little bit and include some other things here to help explain truth to her. And God used that, and she responded to that, and she trusted in Jesus. So it's good to learn multiple approaches. And what I want to do for you in the, in the few minutes that I have left is actually walk you through one of these approaches. I'm not saying it's the best one. It's one of my favorites because I'm a visual person. Is anybody here a visual person? You like visual illustrations, a few of you? I like something that's visual that I can draw out there and see. This is something you could draw on a napkin, you could draw on a piece of paper. Many of you have probably learned this before, so this is not new to you. I'm gonna go through it fairly quickly and if you really want to memorize this or learn this, here's what you can do. You can go back later this week. This whole video will be on our website. You can watch it again. I'm going to list a number of verses. I'm not going to take the time to read all of them here, but I'm going to list them. And if you want to write them down, if you want to go back this week and watch the video again and write them down and go study them, I would love for you to do that. And there are other videos and, and websites online that will teach you to do this stuff and, and do a way better job than I can. But let me just share with you one of my favorite ways to present the gospel when I'm in a conversation and someone's asking me or, or I'm trying to approach them with some spiritual things and what do you believe about this and would you like me to share with you what I believe and how I think this all works? Here's one of the ways, depending on the situation, depending on who the person is, here's one of the ways I might explain it to them. This is called the bridge illustration. How many have heard of the bridge illustration before? Okay, a lot of you. All right, good. For those of you that haven't, here's how it works. And, and this has changed a little bit over the years too, by the way, because there's, there's, a, there's a new step that I feel like oftentimes I have to add at the beginning of the bridge illustration. A new step, which is, I believe that the Bible is true. We don't always get to assume that anymore. In fact, we often don't. In fact, a lot of what I'm about to share won't make sense if you don't understand. I believe what the Bible says is true, because I'm going to use the Bible to support what I'm saying here. 
I believe that it's true. In fact, I believe that the Bible is more verified and historically proven than any other ancient text that we have. Especially in the last hundred years. Thousands of manuscripts have been uncovered that point to the authenticity and the accuracy that we have in the Bible. It's, it's really astonishing. No other historical text has the kind of support that we have for the Bible. So I believe the Bible is true. Okay, so I start there and here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God created the universe and everything in it, including people. And he created those people. Do you like my people? They're beautiful people, aren't they? He created those people to have relationship with him, to walk and talk with him, to be in community with him. And, and everything was wonderful until those people decided to rebel against God. They disobeyed him. They committed treason against the God who had created them. And, and in, in doing that, they created a separation between them and God. The separation was there because of their disobedience. Their disobedience is what we call sin. And so there's sin there and God over here, God is holy. God can't have anything to do with sin. It's completely opposed to his nature. He can't have any sin anywhere near him. And so there's a separation that exists between us and God. And Romans 3.23 says that every single person has sinned. And because of our sin, Romans 6.23 tells us that the penalty for that is death, separation from God forever. We know from elsewhere in scripture that it's, it's actually in a place of torment. And it's just and it's deserved and it's right because of the disobedience, the treason that every single person has committed against the God who created them, all of the bad things that we do. Because of this separation, we all recognize, every single person on this planet recognizes that there's something not right about them. Just think about that for a minute. Every single person recognizes that there's something not right about them. There's something missing in their life. And they try to fill it with all kinds of things. There's a void that's missing there. They may not know what it is. They may not know that it has anything to do with God. But they know that there is a void missing there. And so they might try to fill it with money. Or they might try to fill it with fame. Or maybe they use drugs. Or they use relationships. Or they use power. Or they use all kinds of different things to try to fill that void that is in their life. We all know that there's something not right with us. There's something missing. What we're missing is that relationship with God. They might try to fill it with religion. All these things that they can do. And that's the key about all the religions in the world. They all have to do with something that we have to do. It's something we need to do in order to gain acceptance with God. Or in order to achieve perfection and nirvana. So we don't have to go through rebirths again and again. Whatever the religious system is. It's all about stuff that we have to do. Even many people who believe in God think that if they do the right things or enough of the right things, it will somehow get them across this divide over to God. And so maybe if I give enough, or maybe if I go to church, or maybe if I get baptized, or maybe if I pray enough, or maybe if I do these other things, but none of those things come close to getting us across that bridge because Isaiah 64, 6 says that all the good things we could possibly do are like filthy rags to God. They're worthless to him. Romans 3.23 says that every single person is sin and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Here's how I would illustrate that. Let's imagine that every single one of us went outside and we all picked up a rock and we all tried to throw it and reach the North Pole. Now, you might throw a little farther than me or I might throw a little farther than you, but newsflash, none of us are going to reach the North Pole. And that is what trying to live up to God's standard is like. We all fall short of God's standard. No matter how good we are, nothing will be able to get us across that divide on our own. In fact, the Bible even says that if we were to keep all of God's commands and yet mess up on one of them, we're as guilty as if we've committed all of them. 
Why? Because God is holy. He can't have any sin in his presence. We can't be restored to him on our own. There's nothing we can do that is good enough. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus, who is God, came to this earth 2,000 years ago as a person, lived a perfect and sinless life. He never sinned. Even though he was tempted in the same ways we are, he never sinned. And so when the religious leaders of that day, because they didn't like what he was doing, killed him on a cross, what they call crucified, they crucified him on a cross. God placed on him the sin of every one of us. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 3. The sin of every one of us was placed onto Jesus. And as an infinite sacrifice, an infinite God, he was able to pay an infinite penalty that we could never pay. And it's because of his sacrifice, because of his death, he paid our debt for sin that we could never overcome. And so it's because of the cross of Jesus that we can be made right with God. That we can cross this divide, not because of anything we do, but because of what Jesus has done. It's the key difference between what we believe and what every other religion believes. Every, everybody else in the world is trying to do things. And what God tells us is it's about faith in Jesus, trusting in what he has done, not in what we can do that saves us. And so Jesus, because he rose from the dead, he is now standing in the presence of the Father and as accusations are brought against his people, he says, I have paid their debt. He represents us before God. That's in Romans 4.25 and 1 John 2, 1 through 2. So by believing in what Jesus did for us on the cross, by having faith in him and what he did, we can have peace with God. That's Romans 5, 1. There's no amount of good we could ever do that would make up for our sin. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that. Titus 3, 5 says that. There's nothing we could ever do. It is only by trusting in Jesus. That is a quick, short, simple gospel presentation. And probably in real life, it needs to be stretched out a little bit. Maybe even over multiple days. You might want to adapt that, change that, use different verses. It's not, a, it's not a perfect way to do it. It's just an example. It's an example to get us thinking about how are we sharing our faith with other people? Are we prepared to do something like that? Whether it's this or another method, are we prepared to share what we believe with other people? Let me close with this. We are commanded to love our neighbors. We've been talking about that for weeks that's everyone we interact with, by the way. Our neighbors includes everybody. Not as a project, but as people made in the image of God. Now, there are all sorts of ways we can do that, and we've talked about a lot of them, and there are all sorts of excuses we can come up with for not doing that. But the enemy will try to use to keep us from loving our neighbors and building relationships with them. And why does he want to hold us back? Because he knows what Paul said about living our lives so that we're doing what's best for other people and caring for them, it's gonna give us opportunities so that many may be saved, so that we can share our faith with them. And he wants to do everything possible to keep us from doing anything that would lead to the point of being able to share our faith with them. And so we need to take advantage of the opportunities that God puts before us to share the good news with people, not just as a presentation, but as, as a conversation, as part of a trusting relationship. Because when we do what Jesus told us to do and love our neighbors well, 
we will find all sorts of opportunities to share with them the reason why we are loving them well. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, it is amazing what you have called us into to do, to be a part of. Uh, to be a part of your incredible process of sharing the good news with people. And Lord, it's, it's something that obviously we fail at so often. And yet for some reason you've chosen to work through us and you've said, this is your plan. This is your, your way for us to be the deliverers of this message, this incredible message of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. So Lord, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone watching online that you would help us to be bold, to overcome our fear, to overcome these myths that have sort of just gotten into our thinking and kept us from sharing our faith with people, Lord. To not view this as something for special believers or something that I just do occasionally or something that's just part of an evangelism program or a simple little presentation, but to really have this be a part of our life. Not to, not to live lifestyle evangelism, but a lifestyle of evangelism. A lifestyle where what we're doing is sharing the good news with other people all the time, every chance we get. We thank you for how you will work through us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have a great week, everybody.